God is good. And all the time, including when the mixer's still not working, including when there's technical difficulties, God is still good. And surely the presence of the Lord was in this place. To the Bennetts and to Debbie, thank you all so much for leading us in this time of worship. We, uh, we are honored uh, that y'all are here. Miss Sharon, you did good. Amen? Amen. She did good. Uh, our sermon series is Fill Up on Joy. Fill Up on Joy. It's our study of Philippians. Uh, happiness may be based on what happens in us, but joy is based on Jesus. So think about that. Happiness may be based on what happens in us or to us, but joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on Jesus. In fact, think about it this way. Joy can be an acronym for Jesus occupying you. And when Jesus occupies you, you'll be joyful. The joy will exude. I like that word. The joy will pour out from you. But let's be real, we've probably encountered a few Christians over the years that didn't have a lot of joy pouring out of them. They had something pouring out of them, but it might not have been joy. Can I get a witness? That may not apply to you. It may apply to the person beside you. I don't know. But we need to see in those that call themselves children of God, we need to see joy. We need to see that Jesus occupies them. And if Jesus occupies them then they will have that joy. R.A. Torrey, a great evangelist one time said, there's more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. There's more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world the 365 days of a year. I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 that's in the New Testament towards the back. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. When you found your place and your copy of God's Word, we invite you to stand to show reverence for the reading from Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12. This is what it says in God's Word. As Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me What has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Turn to your neighbor and say, What has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. That's good stuff right there. So now you kind of have a better perspective of the bad stuff, the good stuff the mountains, and the valleys. All that has happened to you has happened, think about that, and it's resulted in the advance of the gospel. Let me read on. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord I have gained confidence from my imprisonment. And dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, 
seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. For me, Paul said, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here that I have. Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, please speak to our hearts by the reading of Your Word, through the moving of Your Holy Spirit. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place because where two or more are gathered together, there You are in the midst thereof. We praise You and we honor You today, God. Speak to us about having joy, about living joyful lives, about allowing the Jesus that lives in us to be seen through us. Hide me behind that old rugged cross. To you be all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul was able to say that what had happened to him, now let's talk about that for a minute. When he writes Philippians, he's imprisoned. He's in jail, and so he's literally saying, what has happened to me? What I have been through... What I have faced, the imprisonment, the torture, the persecution, it's all been a good thing because why? It's advanced the gospel. Look up at me for a minute. Did you know that persecution causes our faith to grow? Persecution causes our faith to grow. Because let me just tell you this, when you're persecuted, when your faith is tested, when your faith is put through the trial, that's when you know how grounded it is, how solid it is. And I've said this before, but I'm going to tell you, it's sad to me that where the Christian church is growing the most is in the most persecuted countries like Iran, China, and North Korea. That's where the church is actually flourishing, even though oftentimes they have to be secret. They have to be in hiding. They have to have Bible studies with, uh, with, on candlelight so that nobody notices. 
They are persecuted and yet they are flourishing. They are persecuted and yet they are solid. They are persecuted and yet, watch this, they're joyful. Boy, I tell you what, if the air conditioner's off by just a few degrees in the American church, it's too cold, it's too hot. If we have to get out of any type of comfort or convenience, if it rains a teaspoon of water, some people will stay home from church. We look in America for excuses of why not, why I don't come or why I don't like when I come. I love when people, when people say things like, well, I didn't get anything out of that church. Well, I didn't get anything out of that Sunday school lesson. Well, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. Well, what did you put into it? <laughs> He's done gone to bed, <laughs> Listen, maybe the reason why you didn't get anything out of it is because you didn't take anything. You didn't receive anything. That's like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet and leaving hungry. That's your fault. You had it all out there on the smorgasbord of life put out there for you. You just had to go grab a plate and put some stuff on it. I'm going to tell you all something. That's one of my pet peeves. When I've had the, the blessing and the privilege of suffering for Jesus and going on a cruise ship, can I get a witness? Hallelujah. <laughs> one thing that I watch, I watch people do this on cruise ships. They act like it's their first time to ever get in a buffet line. They walk up there like this right here, like they're going to look at a casket. <laughs> and then they kind of look around like this. And then they grab the plate like this. And then they look. And they stay right here. And they go ahead and look all the way down the line. And I want to, I just want to say, move it, move it, move it, move it. Move it. Grab something. Put it on that plate and move it. Do I like these? And then they grab the tongs and they start putting the stuff on it. And then they just keep looking. Y'all, seriously, this ain't your first rodeo. Get that plate, get in that line, and get all the way through it. Let the next person go. But the same thing, the same thing happens in church. We come in, we come in like we're walking into a funeral. Watch this. We come in like there's a casket up here. And the Lord starts moving. Oh, you better get away from me. I didn't know that in my life. You don't get on me. I'm all preached. And we act like we don't know what to do. It's not that hard. Put it on the plate. Keep going. Put it on the plate. Keep going. And here's what I this is what I like about a buffet. Let's say you put something on that plate. God forbid. That you didn't like the taste of. That you didn't like it. Get it on your plate. Sample it when you sit down. And if you don't like it, just move it over to the other side. Now go get you a clean plate. You'll know I didn't like that. That's all right. You may not get something out of every church service. You may not get something out of every sermon. But here's my thing. God is moving. God is at work. He speaks to you from His Holy Word. So if there's a struggle, if there's a problem, He's got an answer. And yet, we act like we've never done this before. Paul was able to say, hey, what's happening, to, what's happening to me, what I'm going through, this prison experience, it's been for God's glory. <laughs> Paul was in prison, and yet by being in prison, it emboldened other people's faith because they saw how Paul reacted to it. He wasn't, woe's me. What did I ever do to deserve this prison? 
He didn't act like that. He sang praises and, and sang worship songs in prison, and that actually encouraged other believers because they were like, man, this is real. Paul's got it. And it encouraged them to have that same thing. If Paul had compromised or if he had shut up when the government authorities told him shut up, it would have weakened their faith. They'd have been like, huh, is this real? They told Paul to be quiet, and he got quiet. Paul also points out that there are some people that pre- preach Christ for false motives. You know, sometimes we, we can become critical of a ministry or become critical of someone else's walk with the Lord. And here's what I'm just going to tell you. It's individual. And, and here's the thing. Like, I may not like certain tactics. I may not like certain strategies. But you know what? That's their church. That's that preacher. That's that evangelist. And at the end of the day, it's all about proclaiming Jesus Christ. We just proclaim Him in different ways. As long as we stick to the fundamental truths. I don't like when they twist that. I don't like when they water that down. But as long as we stick to the virgin birth, as long as we stick to the the glorious resurrection, as long as we see Jesus as a Son of God and a miracle worker, there's some little nuances or things that we may disagree on, but the Gospel is preached and the kingdom is advancing. Everybody has different motives and different strategies, but what Christ, uh, what Paul was saying here is that they're all preaching and proclaiming Christ. And that's, that should be our focus. Paul was aiming to please Christ either by living or by dying. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. When you're living, you have the opportunity to serve Him. When you're alive, when you've got one of these, you have the opportunity to give. You have the opportunity to testify. You have the opportunity to, to plant seeds. You have the opportunity to be a witness. You have an opportunity to go. You have an opportunity to give. You have an opportunity to do those things while you're still alive. And then here's the amazing thing. When you die or when you're called up, then you get rewarded for all the things that you did while you were living. You get rewarded for the serving, for the testifying for the giving, for the sacrificing. You get rewarded for that at death. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what Paul kept saying. So what he asked us in verse 27, I want you to go back and pay attention to that. He says just one thing in verse 27. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's saying a lot. Live your life worthy of the gospel. So let's think about that. What does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ died. He died a sacrificial death. He died taking your sins upon Himself who knew no sins. And He died in your place. He sacrificed His life for yours. And the least you can do is live gratefully. Live gratefully for what He did for you, for the sacrifice that He poured out on Calvary. The least you could do is live for Him. Live for Him with joy. Live for Him with, with, with the, the passion of life. Live your life as a thank you card to what Jesus Christ did. Live your life in such a way that it says, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did. Now look at verse 29. Look at what He says in 29. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. It's amazing to me, again, this is where I'm talking about, I may not agree with all evangelists or all preachers on their styles or on their methods. This is where I think a lot of preachers kind of miss the mark. 
They talk a lot about believing in Jesus, but they don't talk a lot about suffering with Jesus. There's a guy with a Colgate smile over in Houston, Texas. He talks a lot about living your best life now and getting your perm now and having a mullet now. But he doesn't talk a lot about suffering for Jesus. And so my, my fear is, look, we're going to be real here. His church is growing. And he's reaching a lot more people than Beulah Land Baptist Church could. But my fear is he's got a lot of people that their faith is a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Because he doesn't prepare them for the struggles of life. He doesn't prepare them for the stress. He doesn't prepare them for what it says right there, suffer with, suffer with Jesus. I thought I was supposed to live my best life right now. Suffer for Jesus. I, as a pastor, as a shepherd, I want to prepare you. That you, you think that life is, is hard and, and then you come to Christ and you get your life right with Jesus and then you walk out that parking lot and your car won't start. And you get home and there's a, a cut-off notice on your door. You see, if I wasn't transparent, if I wasn't honest with you, there's going to be days that test that faith that you claim to have. There's going to be days that end in why. And if I didn't prepare you for that, then what kind of shepherd would I be if I didn't tell the sheep? When we go out of these walls, when we get out of our Christian cocoon and life hits you, you get punched in the gut, you get the rug pulled out from under your feet, if I don't prepare you for that, if I don't use the Word to show you how to respond to those times, then I haven't done a good job as being a shepherd. Because Paul said, it has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. The encouragement I will give you, the hope that I'll give you, is now you don't suffer in vain. You suffer with a purpose. If there's any encouragement or hope that I could bring you, it's that now you don't suffer and stress out and get spun out alone. you got Jesus. You've got a relationship with Jesus who has faced the storm, who has walked through the valley, who has climbed the mountain. You've got a companion that sticks closer than a brother and will be there with you and for you. And you know what? He loves you. Despite all the problems and all the stress and all the warts and weaknesses and wrinkles. I was thinking about this, you know, we over... Uh, Great Britain now has a king, right? We've been saying queen for years. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Buckingham Palace, when King Charles is in Buckingham Palace, they fly that flag. That flag tells the people of the United Kingdom that the king is in the house. Turn to your neighbor and say, the king is in the house. Oh, that was pathetic. you got to have a little soul to it. The king... Is in the house. Try that. The king is in the house. There you go. All right. That's good. That's good. So the people in the United Kingdom know that when that flag is up, the king is there. Okay? When the king leaves for diplomatic reasons or for business or he goes to one of his many retreats, um, when he goes and he leaves the Buckingham Palace, they lower that flag and they put up what's called the Union Jack or the, the flag of Great Britain. 
And that tells people he's not here. He's not at Buckingham House. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that was very interesting. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus in your heart? Because if he is, the flag of joy ought to be raised over your life. Come on. If Jesus is in the house, then there ought to be a flag of joy waving. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're coming out of or heading into, that there ought to be joy in your life. In fact, Robert Rainey said it this way, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence. Maybe you're saying, well, what about, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I faced this past week. You don't know what it's like. You haven't walked in my shoes. And you're exactly right. But I need you to see today that you can still have joy. In fact, we're going to provide you as you leave. uh, It's the ABCs of joy. And it's just a neat little poem, if you will, that was written by... This person has written a whole lot of articles. You ever heard of him? Anonymous? <laughs> that man wrote a lot. He had a lot of time on his hands. Yeah, but Anonymous, Anonymous once said, Although things are not perfect because of trial or pain, continue in thanksgiving. Do not begin to blame. Even when the times are hard, Fierce winds are bound to blow. God is forever able. Hold on to what you know. Imagine life without His love. Joy would cease to be. Keep thanking Him for all the things love imparts to thee. Move out of camp complaining. No weapon that is known on earth can yield the power praise can do alone. Quit looking at the future. Redeem the time at hand. Start every day with worship. To think is a command. Until we see Him coming, victorious in the sky, we'll run the race with gratitude, exalting God Most High. Yes, there'll be good times, and yes, some will be bad, but Zion waits in glory where none are ever sad. Now, when you receive this, you'll realize that that was every letter of the alphabet, and that's why it's called the ABCs of joy. You can have joy regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're facing. When you have Jesus, you have joy. So I just want to challenge you this morning. If the king is in the heart, the joy flag, the flag of joy ought to be raised. If the king is in the house, then that joy ought to be waving out in your life and in the way that you live. So would you bow your heads in prayer? Dear Most Gracious Heavenly Father, this is the part of the service where we invite people to come and to respond.